Today's scripture reading is from Matthew, chapter 5, verses 17 through 30. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. During a roundtable discussion hosted by uh, Jordan Peterson on the book of Exodus, conservative talk show radio host Dennis Prager who describes himself as a religious but not an Orthodox Jew, made some very revealing statements about one Jewish understanding of the Torah or of the law of God and what it means and how it is to be applied. And so I just want to show a brief clip of that as we get started. I am less interested in the interior person, morally speaking, than you are. And, and probably any of you are. And it's largely, I do believe, because I come from a behaviorist, law-based religion we care how you act that's why we don't have a claim that if you look at another woman with lust it's as if you've committed adultery with her I, I am as I said yesterday I, I thank God for America's Christians and uh, Maimonides said if it weren't for Christians the world wouldn't know about the Torah so uh, I'm a big Christian fan but obviously Christianity and Judaism are not identical religions uh, and, and we have no equivalent that if you look upon another woman with lust, it's as if you have committed adultery with your heart. 
There's only one way to commit adultery in Judaism, and it's with a different organ. And I'm not being cute. I'm, I'm being very realistic. Uh, looking with lust is not a sin in Judaism. A behaviorist, law-based religion. We care how you act. Uh, a vein of thinking that it's about the hands, not about the heart. It's about the external obedience, not about something internal. And friends, this insight gives us an incredible opportunity to understand just how radical Jesus' teaching in the passage that Charles just read for us would have been to many. We're returning to our study of Matthew's Gospel, and here in Matthew chapter 5, we're looking at what's called the Sermon on the Mount, which Jesus delivered primarily to his disciples. And here in the first section, in, in verses 17 through 20, Jesus is explaining his relationship to the Hebrew Scriptures. He makes clear in verse 17, he says, Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, the word abolish is the same one that's actually used later on in Matthew's Gospel, where he talks about the temple. He predicts that one day the stones of the temple will be thrown down. It's the same word. He talks about when he's accused, actually, um, before Pilate and before the councils. They say this man said he was going to destroy the temple and in three days rebuild it. Destroy. Throw down. I have not come to destroy. Throw down. Abolish the law. Jesus says, I've come to fulfill the law. And the word here for fulfill means to complete, to fill up, to make perfect. So Jesus says, I've come to fulfill the law. And then he has to explain what that means. And he gives us actually six total examples in chapter 5. We're only going to talk about the first two of them today. What, what does it mean that you've come to fulfill the law and not to abolish the law? And so, friends, to understand, Jesus fulfilled the law in three primary ways. When Jesus says, I fulfill the law and the prophets, he did so in three primary ways. Jesus was the perfect reality, the perfect righteousness, and the perfect revelation. So if you're taking notes, there you go, I gave you three R's. So Jesus fulfills the law because he is the perfect reality, he's the perfect righteousness, and he is the perfect revelation. Now, now first, Jesus is the perfect reality to which all of the law and the prophets point. Why does Jesus say He fulfills the law? Because He is what all the law and prophets point to. You know, Matthew's Gospel, as we've been studying through it already five times, already five times, we're only in chapter 5, we have already heard a statement like the one we heard in chapter 2, verse 17. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. Well over a dozen times throughout Matthew's Gospel, Matthew points out how Jesus fulfilled the words that the Lord spoke through prophets like Zechariah or Jeremiah or Isaiah. Jesus is the perfect reality to which all of the prophecies pointed. And even more than that, He didn't just fulfill the prophets' foretelling. He also, we find, fulfilled the wall that the law foreshadows. He's the reality to which all of the law points. 
The Apostle Paul explains this in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. He says, Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So what's Paul saying here? Paul says that the ceremonial law of the Old Testament, all the festivals and all the foods, they were simply a foreshadowing. They were pointing forward to something that was going to come, to a reality that was going to come. They were a shadow of the substance. They pointed forward from themselves to an ultimate fulfillment. And friends, Christ is the fulfillment. He's the fulfillment of all that the law foreshadowed. And more than that, the sacrificial law that we find in the Old Testament is the same. All the blood sacrifices that God demanded of His people. All that we find laid out in the law, in the Torah, they were perfectly and finally fulfilled in Christ. Because those sacrifices could never actually cleanse the sin of those that sacrificed. The author of Hebrew, the book of Hebrews makes this point. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, he writes, For since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered year after year, make perfect those who draw near. Friends, the Old Testament sacrifices had to be offered again and again and again because they could never perfectly cleanse the worshipers. Those sacrifices were only a foreshadowing, a pointing forward to a reality that was going to come, a perfect and a final sacrifice. The shadows pointed to the reality, the fulfillment of the sacrificial law. And so it is that Jesus and His sacrifice for us on the cross perfectly fulfilled the law and what the law pointed to. And the author of Hebrews goes on there in chapter 10, verse 14. He says, For by a single offering, Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sacrificed. He Sanctified. Sanctified. How about that? That's a very different religion. Jesus perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. He only had to be offered once. Those sacrifices did not need to be offered. His sacrifice did not need to be offered again and again like the sacrifices in the Old Testament because His was a perfect fulfillment. So again, Christ fulfills the law how? He is the reality to which the whole Old Testament points. He fulfills the prophecies. And He is the reality of all that is foreshadowed. So Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. He fulfills the Law and the Prophets because He is the reality to which they all point. And secondly, Jesus fulfills the Law by His perfect righteousness. So Jesus is perfect reality and He is perfect righteousness. Jesus fulfills the Law by coming and perfectly keeping the Law. He perfectly obeys the law. 
Remember that just two chapters before this, in in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus goes to be baptized by John the Baptist who protests. Why are you coming to me to be baptized, Jesus? I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus' response in Matthew 13, verse 15 is, Jesus answered John, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. Jesus answers John's objection saying, you're correct, I have no need of repentance, but this baptism is not about repentance. This baptism is about obedience. This baptism is about fulfilling all righteousness, all obedience. Jesus was perfectly righteous, perfectly obedient to the law perfectly obeying and fulfilling all of the law's righteous demands. German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, Jesus has in fact nothing to add to the commandments of God except this, that He keeps them. He didn't add to the commandments of God. He kept them. Jesus perfectly keeps them all, thus fulfilling them. And friends, that's the Gospel. That's the good news, because the truth is, none of us here is righteous. None of us here has even come close to perfectly keeping or fulfilling the law. None of us obeys perfectly. All of us fall short of the law's righteous demands. None are righteous, no, not one. But the gospel, the good news, is that Jesus has done what we cannot And so righteousness is now not based upon what we have done or can do, but based upon what Christ has done for us. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, the Apostle Paul writes, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, because they all point to Jesus. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Friends, our righteousness is through faith in Jesus Christ, even as we sang about it, by faith alone. Faith in what Christ has done. Friends, the gospel, the good news is that Jesus has done what we are powerless to do. He's fulfilled all righteousness, and those who are now by faith in Him, we are credited with Christ's righteousness. Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. So we often say. We gain from His reward. His righteousness is credited to us. He's done it. And by faith, we receive the reward. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. There's that word again, fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So friends, we who now walk by faith in Jesus Christ, we who have the Spirit of Jesus Christ within, in us the righteous requirement of the law has been fulfilled. Jesus has fulfilled the law for us. And by faith, He becomes our righteousness, our rightness before God. Church, this is the Gospel. 
This is the good news. This is what we cling to. And friends, is it what you cling to? Is this your hope? Friends, is your hope in your obedience or in His obedience? Is your hope in what He has done or in what you might do? Is your hope in His goodness or your goodness? Is your hope in your own righteousness or in the righteousness of Jesus Christ who perfectly fulfills the law? Jesus fulfills the law because first, He's the perfect reality to which all the law and prophets point. Secondly, He is the perfect righteousness. He's perfectly been obedient to the law. And finally, Jesus fulfills the law because He provides perfect revelation. Perfect revelation. Friends, the law was given to reveal God. The law was given by God to reveal God to us. The law is still an accurate revelation of God's unchanging character. We learn about who God is by what He desires. We learn about who God is by what He commands. We learn about who God is by how He works in the world. The law reveals God to us. And this is why in verse 18, Jesus says, not the smallest part of the law is going to pass away until all's accomplished. Because, friends, God will not pass away and God's character will never change. So the law is still an accurate and authoritative revelation of the unchanging character and desire of God. As such, Jesus didn't come to abolish and do away with the law. Rather, we witness Jesus repeatedly affirms the truth and the authority and the goodness of the law. I mean, do you remember a couple chapters ago when Jesus faced off with the devil in the wilderness? He didn't debate or argue with the devil. In response to every one of the devil's temptations, three times, Jesus simply stated, It is written. And they quoted Deuteronomy, and he dropped the mic. Because that was enough. God's Word was enough. It's true. It's powerful. It's settled. Jesus quoted the Torah, the law, three times, and that was enough. Friends, Jesus did not come to abolish the law. In fact, He affirmed its truthfulness and its power. In the sixth antithesis that Jesus offers in the next section of teaching, we're going to find Jesus never once actually contradicts the law. He never anywhere says that the law is wrong or that the law is invalid. In fact, he endorses the law and he endorses its enduring truth and authority. And more than that, he makes this statement in verse 19. He teaches that kingdom people, meaning us disciples, should not only do these commandments, but he says we should teach others to do the same. He endorses the law and the enduring truth of the law and what it reveals about who God is and His unchanging character. Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. And He's come to fulfill it, friends, by revealing to us the law's true and right interpretation. He fulfills the law by completing the revelation of the law. Now, I think about what what John wrote in the beginning of his gospel. John started his gospel unlike anybody else. 
the other three Gospels either jump right into the action or give us a little bit of a birth story. John starts with a theological treatise in his Gospel. And in John chapter 1, verse 17, in that treatise, he writes, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So, so through Moses, God revealed Himself and His glory by the law. But the problem is that glory was veiled. And that revelation was often misunderstood, misinterpreted, and mishandled. And so the Lord then sent the perfect revelation and the perfect fulfillment of the law, Jesus Christ. And so John also writes in John 1.14, The Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we have seen His glory. The glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Friends, Jesus fulfills the law because He completely and perfectly reveals God to us. In His coming, He corrects all of our misunderstandings and misinterpretations of God's law, of God's character, of God's desires. In His teaching, Jesus corrects our interpretations so that we can truly know God who He is and what He desires. So friends, Jesus, to summarize, fulfills the law because He's the perfect reality to which all the law points, foreshadowing and foretelling, He fulfills. He fulfills it because of His perfect righteousness. He completely and perfectly obeys the law and we can't. And finally, in His incarnation and in His instruction, Jesus is fulfilling or completing the law by giving us the full revelation of God, of who He is, of what He's like, of what He desires. And He fully reveals God to us. And it's this final point that we find being spelled out in the sixth antithesis of Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is fulfilling the law and He's now revealing the correct interpretation of the law because what we find is that when it comes to the law, the scribes and the Pharisees, even though they were meticulous, didn't go deep enough. They didn't go deep enough. Friends, the scribes and the Pharisees, they had counted and they had calculated the old, that the Old Testament law they counted up contains 248 commandments and 365 prohibitions. And they, the Pharisees, were dedicated to obeying all 613 of these instructions. And yet, for their meticulousness, we hear Jesus say in chapter 5, verse 20, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And at that, Jesus hears the jaws were just dropped open because we've given the Pharisees a bad rap today, but they were the professional holy people. They were the good church people of his day. These were the people that were considered the most devout, the most holy. And then Jesus goes, well, hey, well, if you're going to follow me, your righteousness has to actually exceed theirs. How? They're meticulous. 613? Commands? Really? More than that? Do you get 614? When Jesus speaks here of righteousness that exceeds or surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, Jesus is speaking of a kind of righteousness, not a degree of righteousness. Friends, understand this. Jesus is speaking not about more righteousness, 
but about a different type of righteousness. If you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven, your righteousness needs to be different from. He's talking about type. A different type of righteousness than from the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees were content with an external righteousness, a rigid conforming to the letter of the law. I'm less interested in the interior person. I'm more about how you act. The scribes and the Pharisees argued that righteousness need only be skin deep. The Jews of Jesus' day were arguing that the righteousness that God desired needed only be skin deep, behavioral, external obedience. But friends, if it's only external, if it's only about keeping the letter of the law, then you're able to interpret and sidestep and loophole your way to righteousness. And that's what they were doing. The scribes and the Pharisees, in order to make obedience more easily attainable, they made the law's demands less demanding, and they made the law's permissions more permissive. And so when Jesus speaks here of righteousness that exceeds or surpasses the, the scribes and the Pharisees, Jesus is speaking of a kind of righteousness, not a degree of righteousness. Jesus doesn't call for more and more of the same type of righteousness. He calls for a deeper and deeper righteousness that goes not just on the surface, but down to the heart. And that's what we hear in the two examples that Charles read for us about anger and about lust. Now, there's a total, like I said, of six of these antithesis that Jesus gives here. And notice that they all start the same way. Verse 21, 27, 31, 33, 38, 34. They all start the same way. You have heard that it was said. You have heard that it was said. Now, I want you to note something. I want you to note something important so that we understand this passage correctly. When Jesus battled the devil, what did he say? It is written. And then he quoted the Old Testament law, the Torah. Here he says, you have heard that it was said. Friends, Jesus isn't talking about God's law. He's not taking issue with God's law. He's not taking issue with what's been written. He's taking issue with what's being said and taught by the Pharisees and the scribes. He's taking issue with the interpretations and the applications of God's law that's being made by the scribes and the Pharisees. You all have heard it said by these scribes and Pharisees. Well, I say to you, because Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He's come to rightly reveal and interpret the law for us. And friends, what Jesus says here is utterly devastating. What he says here is devastating. I mean, the next time that somebody says to you, well, that Jesus guy... That Jesus, God, I'm not ready to accept him as the Son of God, but he's a great teacher. I really like his teaching. And when they say that to you, you can be like, have you ever read his teaching? What do you mean you like his teaching? Friends, Jesus takes what the scribes and the Pharisees were doing really hard work to make possible, and Jesus makes it impossible. You know, because all of us here can go, hey, I haven't murdered with my hands. Therefore, I'm a righteous person. I'm a good person. I feel good about that. And then this great teacher, Jesus, comes along and goes, Hey, remember when you got angry with your wife? You remember what you said about your husband when he wasn't listening? Remember what you thought about your coworker? Remember that anger, those words that you spoke behind their back? 
that demonstrates you're a murderer. You're not righteous. You're not a good person. I don't like that teaching. I like the Pharisees' version much better. Or adultery. I can say I haven't committed adultery with my body. I'm a righteous person. I'm a good person. That makes me feel good. But then along comes Jesus and goes, Hey, hey, um, remember the internet last night? Remember that, um, that flirtatious text exchange? You, you remember that gaze that you let linger just a little too long? You remember that touch that you allowed to yourself to enjoy just a little too much? You're an adulterer. You're not righteous. Friends, nobody likes that teaching. We like the Pharisees' standard better. The Pharisees had a superficial hands-off policy, but Jesus had a hearts-off policy. He made it impossible. Jesus' words here lay bare that our problem, friends, goes deeper than mere external conformity to the law. Friends, the utterly uncomfortable truth that Jesus makes clear in this passage is that all of us are murderers and adulterers in waiting. Because you know what Jesus is saying here? He's saying, if you haven't committed murder, and if you haven't committed adultery, it's not because you're righteous at your core. Your anger and your lust make clear that at your core you are a murderer, and you are an adulterer. It's just external factors that have restrained you. Maybe it's the self-discipline that you've learned, or societal expectations that you've adopted, or maybe it's those relationships that you fear to break. And Jesus is making clear, but yeah, given the chance, Given the chance to get away with it scot-free, if we took away all those external restraints, what's your heart going to do? Friends, think about the danger of pornography. I mean, it's so easy. It's so secret. We think we're going to get away with it scot-free. Nobody will know. Take away those external restraints, and where do we go? Right into the arms of virtual lovers. And Jesus says, if you could get away with it in real life, then why wouldn't you? What is your heart revealing about you? Your righteousness problem isn't just external. Your righteousness problem is internal. Jesus warns, your anger and your lust make clear there's a murderer. There's an adulterer that lives within. She just hasn't had the opportunity yet. Friends, our problem goes so much deeper than mere behavior, than mere external conformity deeper than what the scribes and the Pharisees are declaring. And Jesus reveals what God desires is not merely an external righteousness. We don't need merely shallow external righteousness. We need a change from the heart. Our problem is radical. Radical comes from the Latin word for root or core. Our problem goes to the core of our being. Our problem goes to the heart. And Jesus says, you don't merely need a change of your behavior. You need a change of your heart. You don't merely need external righteousness. You need an internal righteousness. The Sermon on the Mount isn't so much to tell us, friends, what we should do. It's to tell us we can't do it. It's to tell us we can't do it. But, friends, that drives us right where we need to go, to Jesus. It drives us to the gospel because the good news is we can't do it, but Christ has done it.
Church, we can't do it, but Christ has done it. He has fulfilled the law that we are powerless to fulfill. And as such, He has come to mediate a new and a better covenant. He's come to give us a deeper righteousness that perfectly fulfills the law. Not just external obedience, but internal transformation. The author of Hebrews makes clear in Hebrews chapter 6, 8, verse 6, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant He mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. Then the author of Hebrews goes on in chapter 8 to quote the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 31, which contains a prophetic announcement of the coming covenant. And Hebrews 8.10, Jeremiah 31.33, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. Friends, the Lord announced through the prophet Jeremiah that there's going to be a new covenant, a new relationship mediated, not just external, but internal. Not written on tablets of stone, but written on the human heart. And in the same way, the Lord spoke through the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 36, verse 27, saying, I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Friends, by faith, Christ has given us his spirit. He is producing in us a righteousness that far exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees. The Pharisees taught that mere external conformity would be righteousness enough. And Jesus says, no, I've come to give you my righteousness and to give you a new heart. Jesus says true righteousness conforms to the character and desire of God. It goes deeper. True righteousness is impossible for you and for me, but Christ has made it possible. True righteousness is available because Christ has perfectly fulfilled the law and he offers himself and his righteousness to us. So disciples of Jesus Christ, Our hope is Jesus Christ. Our hope is not our righteousness. Our claim is that He is our righteousness. For Christ has done exactly what He says He did here. He's fulfilled the law. And with His Spirit within us now, He's conforming us to all righteousness. Friends, what stops you from hoping in Him? What hinders you from being transformed by His Spirit within you? Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You that You have sent Christ to do what we are powerless to do. To obey. Thank You that Christ is the One that You promised throughout the Old Testament. Thank You that Christ has revealed to us You perfectly, completely, and wholly. And now, may our hope be in Him, in His righteousness. And may Your Spirit within us transform us that we might be conformed now to that righteousness, to His image, that we might reflect You and glorify You now and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.